Hey listeners, quick disclaimer for today's episode. It features two bishops talking about liturgical music. So they're just two bishops saying what they think. And this is not some kind of manifesto from the USCCB about liturgical music. Okay, great. Here's the episode. And so I'm so passionate about the sacred liturgy, the music being to me a vital and important part of that makes me very passionate about seeing that we have the proper form and give God the best that we can in our liturgical music that we use in divine worship. As we march through just to begin the Mass, I'm often surprised with everything else going on that with those first notes. They bring me squarely and in front into that joy of the liturgy. This is Made for Love a Catholic podcast about real people living out the call to love. I'm your host, Sarah Perla. Today's episode is a little different, y'all. It's all bishops all the time. And while it touches on marriage and family life, because everything does, the focus is more on the life-giving power of music and its effects on our faith and the liturgy. The origin of today's episode is a mistake. I had the wrong diocese of Portland, Did you know that there are two dioceses of Portland in the U.S.? There are. And so I contacted Archbishop Sample to talk to him about something he didn't know about. And once we figured that out, secretaries are the best, I just kept the interview time and decided to talk to him about his recent letter on liturgical music. And once I did that, I found there was a bishop who had a background as a serious pianist. So that interview obviously had to happen as well. So we'll start with Bishop Berg and his experience in music. Hello, I am Bishop Stephen Berg, Bishop of the Diocese of Pueblo. I've been the bishop here now for five years, 20 years as a priest, and five years as a bishop. Bishop Berg is in the Diocese of Pueblo in southern Colorado. When I received the call from the nuncio, I, I really didn't know which Pueblo he was talking about. I didn't know Colorado that well, but... As I looked at it, I said, yes, I think I can, I can really thrive in Colorado. So I was very happy to be here. He began his priesthood in Fort Worth. So I asked if he ever missed Texas. The barbecue, the catfish, and the people, and the Texas country music. Bishop Berg is the oldest of 10 children, and he grew up in Montana. The family was musical. My parents bought a piano, and I began taking piano lessons when I was eight years old. There would have been a lot of Mary Had a Little Lamb happening in the Berg household. As we moved into a larger house, then we bought a larger piano. So the piano became a focus of the family, and I and my first three siblings took lessons. Our lives were built around those practice sessions and really the internal discipline of the house, the things that we learned had to do with hearing music, hearing each other practice, and uh, those were the days when we didn't have TVs, or at least we didn't have them, and the music was the life of the house, along with the meals and the prayer. Parents who want to foster a gift for music in their children do have to set rules. It would be a minimum of 30 minutes a day for each one of us, preferably 45 minutes a day practicing the piano. It was worked into the schedule. Practice time was basically non-negotiable. 
And eventually, the child is going to choose to continue or not. And parents may be able to discern whether that's the right decision. At the one time where I thought as a sophomore that I wanted to do something else, we had a pretty intense discussion, (laughs) my family and um, my parents and I, and I could see that they loved the music. We have some musical talent in our family, but it doesn't really connect with reading notes. Most of what we have is playing by ear. I'm different. I have to read the notes and internalize it that way. This actually reminded me of the temperaments episode. Some of us are naturally a bit flighty and may need some flexibility or some encouragement. Bishop Berg strikes me as a melancholic, so if he was going to continue with piano, he was really going to continue. And got a scholarship to Gonzaga University, which was at that time probably the only way I could figure out how to get to college. And uh, from Gonzaga, where the music program They canceled it after one year, but I was able to transfer my scholarship to the University of Colorado in Boulder. I received a bachelor degree in music and piano performance and then a graduate assistantship to Eastern New Mexico University, where I got a master's degree in piano performance. Then he contemplated doctoral work. I had this plan of getting a doctorate and getting married and having five kids and having the perfect life. Tell God your plans, as the saying goes. Eventually, after gaining significant business experience that I won't go into here, Stephen Berg entered the seminary and began formation for the priesthood. In the seminary, they saw my background, both business and music, and so they started to use me, you know. And I became the musician for everything and ahead of all the fundraisers and stuff, and I didn't feel like I was getting my formation, you know, my spiritual formation. And there's a point to that. I was ready for that really deep stuff. So I sort of backed away from music. He tried to let music move to the background of his life, but God had other ideas. Then I got my first assignment just in pastoral ministry. I was still a seminarian. It was a bunch of kids, 35 kids to teach First Communion to, and no help. And I couldn't get them. I mean, these were wild kids, eight to nine years old just full of energy and life, and you couldn't have five minutes really to talk to them. And then somebody suggested, why don't you teach them how to sing? And I thought, well, that's music. I'm trying to teach them about Holy Communion. And so we started on that song, the Lord said to Noah, you're going to build an ark, and they took off with that song, and they decided, you know, within two weeks, they wanted to be the choir, you know, in the mass. And I said, nope, you're not ready for it. And by gosh, they marched over. They took over the choir section. That's how impressive they were. And we did learn something about Jesus, that's for sure. I learned a lot about music, and it was really driven home to me. If you've got some music in there, you need to put it into play. Music is a gift from the Lord. And after his ordination, Bishop Berg found that it came in handy. When you're out there, there's a piano somewhere and somebody wants you to play a little bit. Nobody's ever heard music like this, not live anyway. So it's not putting on concerts, but being able to, when you're at somebody's home, to play a few little pieces or when you're in the college and you see the piano for the students. In addition, I don't know about you, but I love seeing a bishop do something that he loves as a human being, especially in settings where bishops can be expected to act very formally. 
at the fundraisers, that sort of thing, it gives me something to do. It gives me a little bit of an entry level of life that I wouldn't have. It's just a gift from God that I can do that. And this isn't directly related to music, but to give you a better sense of who Bishop Berg is, I wanted to share this bit about when he was assigned as a pastor of four country parishes. A highlight of my life, I really felt like I, I, I was called to be a father, which is my original plan was to be a father, and here all of a sudden I was, of a very large and active family with those four parishes. He would drive from place to place, keeping in touch with his people, and trusting his staffs in the day-to-day. Well, it was one of the happiest times of my life. I had one half-time secretary to do the books, and each parish, which were about between 15 and 30 miles apart, the, the total circuit was about 80 miles, and I would do that three times a week, and basically, I carried my office on my cell phone. I just published my cell phone number, and people never took advantage of it. I I was just always in touch. And I had four parishes. I had four bookkeepers, and they would have the checks ready for me to sign 30 minutes before Sunday Mass. And I would go back and review them quickly and sign them and take a list of people that needed to be visited on the way home on Sunday afternoon. We had four different choirs. We really worked to get our youth together, different events. I was quite independent. I had my own ministry, and it was really fun. Bishop Berg and I happened to have the same favorite hymn. Oh God, beyond all praising, and I requested it for my Episcopal ordination. And I wasn't prepared for how it moved me. And my family, when we get together in Billings with my mother, we will still pull out and Google that song and share tears over that. We just absolutely love that moment that music provided for us. In case you don't know this, the melody for Oh God Beyond All Praising is a hymn called Thaxted, written by Gustav Holst. It's an adaptation based on a theme in his orchestral piece, Jupiter, one of his series on the planets. Then I've tried to listen to his other stuff, you know, and it's good and all that, but there's nothing like this one piece. He really nailed it there. Now we're going to turn to music in the liturgy and Archbishop Sample, but Bishop Berg will be sprinkled in too. Well, this is Archbishop Alexander Sample. I am the Archbishop of Portland in Oregon. And I've been here for uh, coming up on six years as the Archbishop here. Archbishop Sample wrote a pastoral letter this year, 2019, called Sing a New Song to the Lord. Since each bishop has responsibility for the liturgy in his diocese, Archbishop Sample hopes to renew appreciation for sacred music in Portland, Oregon, in order to highlight the meaning of the Mass. Purposes of our Mass of divine worship is, first of all, to give glory to God, to give glory and worship to God, and secondly, to sanctify the faithful. So music in the Mass, he says, must serve this purpose. Archbishop Sample is not speaking on his own here. I'm trying to really draw clearly from the teaching of the Church 
both in the preconciliar period, the liturgical movement that was building up to the Second Vatican Council, but also certainly what the Council itself had to say about divine worship and sacred music, and then the subsequent documents that have come from the Church after the Second Vatican Council, and this, with special uh, highlighting on the teachings of the Holy Fathers, the Popes, since the Council on Sacred Music. In his letter, the Archbishop lays out the three qualities sacred music has. First of all, a sacredness itself. The music is sacred in and of itself. By that we mean that the more the music serves the liturgy, the more it serves the texts of the liturgy, the more it's suitable for the liturgical action that is taking place during the liturgy, the more sacred it is. So I guess the song by the Beatles is out? The second quality is beauty that the music must be truly beautiful. It must convey a beauty of form, a beauty of text, and it must truly have an artistic quality that is of a high standard in order to be included in divine worship. And finally, music shouldn't be super time or culture bound. And then the third quality is universality. And by this we mean that the music for the sacred liturgy would be immediately recognized as a sacred sound, that transcends culture. Certainly, there are many, many different cultures throughout the world and in the church, and even in the United States, we have many cultures that worship in the church. They all bring their own gift of music to divine worship, but the music that they bring, different cultures, must be of a truly sacred character, so that even if one maybe isn't of that particular culture, one would immediately recognize this as a sacred sound, as a sacred music, and not simply an importing of more secular forms of music from those various cultures, but even within the culture, it is a part of the sacred tradition of that culture that any of us would would immediately recognize in, in sort of a universal way. One of the things Archbishop Sample points out is that you can't just stick in lyrics that talk about God and call it sacred music. There seems to be somewhat of a general attitude in the contemporary church that as long as the words, as the, the lyrics of the music are about God, then it's, it's okay for divine worship. But it's not the lyrics alone. It's the musical form itself. And the music must serve the text and not the other way around. In other words, the church gives us the liturgy. We don't plan the liturgy. The church has already planned the liturgy for us. We simply prepare it. And so in choosing a sacred song for divine worship, that music must truly serve the texts of the sacred liturgy. And not every style of music is appropriate for divine worship in the Holy Mass. And so it isn't just the words, it's the musical form itself that also is very, very important. I asked the Archbishop why he cares so much about this. The reason I'm so passionate about music when it comes to the liturgy is because I'm passionate about the liturgy. The sacred liturgy, as the Council again taught us, is the source and the summit of the Church's life. It's the most important thing that we do, and I think we forget that sometimes. Bishop Berg likewise sees that music serves an important purpose in the liturgy. When I come into the liturgy and I'm prepared as a bishop and we're all ready to go, that I can see with the people out there, they're all coming with some expectation. They're all looking around, seeing what's happening. It's always a special event when the bishop is there. We come from so many places and uh, concerns. And then always for me, It's that first sounds of the entrance processional, the first sounds of the choir or the music that make that announcement for us that we're coming together. I notice that that is 
really a part of me, that that is part of my history and part of my future, that as we march through just to begin the Mass, I'm often surprised with everything else going on that with those first notes, they bring me squarely and in front into that joy of the liturgy and that expectation that we get through music, that we're about to do something that's significant. We're here to meet our Lord, and He is already with us. Archbishop Sample encourages the use of Latin, especially for the Mass parts. Certainly the Mass parts, the ordinary of the Mass, well, the Kyrie is in Greek, but the Gloria, the Credo, the Agnustae, the Sanctus, these things, we know what these texts are, and you know we've been singing them and reciting them for decades in the vernacular, so we know what the texts are. I don't think it, it requires a whole lot of catechesis to get people to understand what they're singing. What I personally find cool about saying the Kyrie or the Sanctus is that you're saying the same words and sometimes even singing the same tune as believers hundreds of years ago. There are these moments in the liturgy that's itself where the music seems to kind of come from underneath the action or what we're doing. We're always pretty much have to be focused on what we're doing because it is work. But the music somehow uh, arrives and at moments it lifts us higher with that sense of prayer beyond actions or words. Bishop Berg notices this particularly close to Holy Communion. Particularly the music around the Holy Communion. I, I can usually feel that beginning with the Lamb of God and feel that work that's moving us into that expectation of communion, of meeting, and that sense of peace. And always as a priest, and now as a bishop, that possibility of transcendence. And I'm really open when that happens, not because it happens because of the music, but when the music assists us, I can see it in the eyes of the people as they come forward for communion. And that, to me, is the grace that music provides. Sacred music can provide for us mortals a glimpse of heaven. Here's Archbishop Sample. As we prepare to enter into the Eucharistic prayer, the great anaphora and the, and, and the consecration and the, and the making present of the Paschal mystery in the Eucharist, the preface always leads in by saying, therefore, with thrones and dominions and with the seraphim and the cherubim, we join our voices to theirs as we sing, holy, holy, holy. And I always imagine at that moment that the angels are descending from heaven and joining us around the altar and, and sort of taking what's happening at the altar up into the heavenly liturgy and that we are taken up into that heavenly liturgy. And it's not always predictable when God may move a heart through music. I, there are many, many times, I guess, when, when I've been moved uh, during the liturgy. Sometimes certain pieces at Mass, hymns even, evoke memories. Uh, and I think we all have those experiences. As a young man, Archbishop Sample was visiting a city, and people told him to check out a particular Mass. And I went in there, and when the music began... Um, I had truly, I think, a spiritual experience. Um, my heart swelled and uh, was lifted up in prayer and worship. It was just an overpowering uh, experience of the sacred, and that's that's what struck me. You know, I was you know twenty something at the time, 
But I, I would have to say it was the first time I really experienced the sacred in the liturgy in a very palpable way that I had never experienced before. I suddenly became profoundly aware of the tremendous mystery that was being celebrated there in that sacred liturgy. It was an experience in a moment that I will never forget. As I think about it now, I can even feel some of the, the emotion that I felt in that experience. What's interesting about this emotional experience is that it reaches deeper into the soul, I think, than other experiences. Because it wasn't entertainment. It wasn't, uh, you know, a music with a, a beat or a rhythm that, you know, you might move you to some emotional response. It was just this sacred sound that filled that church and that gave me a profound experience of touching the sacred, of being very much close to God, close to the divine mystery, really close to heaven. And in case you were wondering if Archbishop Sample has a musical background like Bishop Berg... I'm not a musical person in, in terms of formal training in music. I can't really read music very well. Archbishop Samples shared about one particular piece of sacred music. My mother, who passed away uh, about 14 months ago, she had a great love for the Panis Angelicus. And just the simple traditional way that we sing the Panis Angelicus. And she always used to talk about how it would remind her of her mother who sang in the choir when she was a little girl. And any time the Panis Angelicus was sung at Mass, you know, she would get all teared up. And now that she's gone... When I hear the Panis Angelicus, you know, it really connects me very deeply, not only with my mother, but with my grandmother, whom, whom I never met, and with that whole communion of saints that's gone before us. Now, one thing the Panis Angelicus highlights is that real sacred music is not necessarily easy to sing or play. In fact, sometimes it really should be sung by trained people, and those people should probably be paid. If we're really serious about our worship, if it really is the source and summit of the Christian life, if it really is the peak experience and the most important thing that the church does, then I think we need to put the resources toward that that are required to make it the best that it can be. Our masses should be the very best that we can do with the resources we have on hand. The church has always recognized artists whether they be visual artists or musical artists, the importance of that, and the church has always been a great patron of the arts and the sacred arts and uh, visual art and sacred music. I think it's really important to say these things just from my time singing in church choirs over the years. I am not a professional, but I have some training, and I can sing way better when there's a professional standing next to me. It just brings the whole level up. It's so worth it. In contrast, I'm sure we've all been at a Mass that is made somewhat painful by the music. Uh, the joke uh, when I was in the seminary uh, was, gentlemen, if you can't sing, don't. <laughs> because it, it can be a, really a, a distraction. Turning to marriage and family, because that's our podcast, Archbishop Sample had this to say. I think it's very important for the domestic church, for the family, to be deeply steeped in our worship, in divine worship, and understanding what happens at Mass. You know, Mass is not just going to church and, and singing songs and hearing readings 
and having sort of a, a nice emotional experience. We go to Mass to participate in the Paschal Mystery. Who is at the parish Mass? Well, lots of families. We know that marriage and family life is the heart of the church, really. I mean, we refer to the family as the domestic church. It's the smallest unit, if you will, within the church where the faith is lived and experienced. And we want families, we want children in families to really have a deep and profound understanding of the sacred mystery that we celebrate in the Holy Mass. And good sacred music is good for families. What we need to help families and children do is understand the mystery of the Mass, the profound mystery that we celebrate, and help them enter more deeply into that mystery and understanding that we are representing the Paschal Mystery and we are receiving the fruits of that Paschal Mystery in the Holy Mass. Archbishop Sample also points out that young people are often moved by sacred music. I think sometimes uh, we, maybe we older adults, sort of impose ideas upon young people that we, what we think they're going to like, what we think that's going to attract them, what we think that's going to satisfy them in the liturgy. And my experience has been that when young people are exposed to the sacred tradition of the church, and we, I don't want to use words like traditional, but perhaps that's the right word, more traditional forms of music, more reverent forms of music that convey this tremendous mystery, they're deeply attracted to it. I find that young people, young adults in particular, are very, very drawn to this more reverent, more prayerful kind of, of experience that conveys the tremendous mystery. It, it, it tugs at the heart of these young people. And I see it all the time when I even celebrate more traditional forms of Mass, even in, in the extraordinary form. It's not mostly old people that are at these celebrations, but it's young people are drawn to it. I think we, we sell young people short sometimes, and, and you know we, we keep feeding them the same thing, and we've been sort of feeding our, our people the same kind of music for decades now, and I don't think we've really fully implemented what the council intended, and when young people discover our tradition and our style traditionally of divine worship that goes back over centuries, they're just naturally drawn to it because it's, it's really their heritage, and, and they somehow, on a deep level, recognize that. So, sacred music is really important. But don't you leave this podcast thinking that Archbishop Sample only listens to Handel and Bach. You know, I grew up in the 70s, so I like a lot of my great 70s music. Everything but disco. Disco can go the way of the dinosaur as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> But, you know, there's a lot of great movie uh, music in the 70s and, you know, some of the pop stuff that I listened to in the 70s. I still listen to some of that stuff. I love big band stuff, too, and I love the old dandards and the great crooners of the of old, Frank Sinatra, Tony Bennett, Rosemary Clooney, some of that era as well. So I listen to all kinds of music. I, I don't have a great tolerance for country music, I must confess. Everybody in my family, my siblings, and everybody seemed to like that. And I can take it in small doses, but that's one form of music that doesn't appeal terribly to me. But yeah, I'm all over the place. I can be listening one minute to uh, Palestrina, a beautiful mass by Palestrina, or a motet by Palestrina, and the next minute, you know, I'm listening uh, to the Eagles, which was a great band of mine from the 70s. So I love music, and I love contemporary music. I love secular music, and I even love some of the praise and worship music that is popular among young people and in prayer meetings and, and youth conferences and that. That's great music, and it's, it's uplifting, and it's powerful, and it's beautiful, but a lot of it isn't appropriate for, for the Mass. And when we come to the Mass, there needs to be a shift. 
we've entered into a different realm. We've entered into a different category of, of music. But I, I like all that stuff, too, in its, in its proper place and setting. And I love the polka. I'm half Polish. I love the polka. And to close, we're going to have a little encore from Bishop Berg. The Lord said to Noah, you're going to build an archie. If you like what you've heard today, please support this project by sharing it with your friends, subscribing to Made for Love on iTunes, writing a review, or commenting on the show notes at marriageuniqueforareason.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and all those things. This is essentially a one-woman production, so yours truly did everything, except for the theme music, which is composed and produced by Michael Taylor. And then the new music is from First Come.